Hey, this is John. Let's Talk Native is now on Patreon. You can support the show by going to patreon.com slash letstalknative. We will be producing exclusive content for our Patreon supporters. Thanks for checking us out. Let's Talk Native is produced at the LTN Studios on the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. No prayers, no buffalo speeches, and no spirituality shows. While this podcast does not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do take a tough look at history, oppression, and our survival. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. So... Welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. So I'm John Kane. Hey, thanks for joining us tonight. Um, it is Giving Tuesday. So let me start off by uh, by reminding people that, look, we are not a, a big commercial enterprise here. So I do encourage people to uh, support the program in any way that you can. Uh, we are on Patreon. So you can go to patreon.com slash Let's Talk Native. Uh, you can go to our website, which is Let's Talk Native.com. Um, but I also want to remind people that uh, I do shows on WPFW in Washington, D.C. and on WBAI in uh, New York City. So by all means, uh, Support listener-supported radio, and uh, you can go to give2wbai.org, or you can go and or you can go to wpfwfm.org and uh, make donations to these listener-supported radio stations that happen to give me some time on on their uh, on their airwaves. So I just wanted to mention that, get it out of the way. And you know what? I'll tell you what. While I'm offering my appreciations, I gotta I gotta say, um, NewYorkTimes.com ran a piece about native voices uh, in the media. And Michael uh, Kicking Bear, from, uh, uh, who's Pequot, who has his own uh, podcast, which is I think it's called Native Opinion. I, we, I was a guest on his show before. He recommended our podcast uh, on this NewYorkTimes.com uh, website. And, uh, and it got spread pretty widely. So uh, I appreciate that. He also mentioned my good friend, Gautanetta Horn, and, uh, and her daughter, who do a, do a podcast together. Um, I got to give thanks to you know to Michael uh, Kicking Bear. I also want to mention and <laughs> give thanks to to uh, Charles Cater, who is a longtime friend of mine, and we've worked together quite a bit up in Aquasasne, and uh, and and we've done some other media things together. I want to uh, I want to give him thanks for not only uh, be, making me aware of this uh, uh, NewYorkTimes.com uh, piece, but also. He helps get my name out there. I recently did a, a piece on North Country, Country Public Radio with uh, uh, um, uh, David Summerstein, and I also uh, and I also did a piece on WAMC as it related to my uh, my work back at my old high school village, uh, trying to get them to change the uh, the mascot. So we've kind of uh, you know got ourselves involved in some of the other media outlets. Um, very much supporting and, and promoting what we're doing here. And, you know, look, I'm not trying to become a, a media or viral sensation. Uh, it would, it's always great to have more listeners and, and more viewers to our videos. Uh, so I, I encourage people to share the programs. And I know that I'm talking about things that, um, 
that you may not be hearing other places. I mean, uh, it's really important that people understand the work that we do here. And by we, I mean uh, uh, Jake Proud and myself. Um, I, you look, I also, got, since I'm doing this, I also want to give my thanks out to, to Jake because you, the last show that I did, I talked about cancel culture. And I was all prepared to come here and, and condemn this whole notion of cancel culture. And luckily having somebody significantly younger than me who can explain what's really happening to, uh, in the social world beyond my age group. Jake kind of gave me a little bit of a lesson on what cancel culture really is. And that's why my show took the completely different turn. Well, not a different turn, but my position on that phrase and, and what it really means changed because I had to spend a great deal of time explaining that I support cancel culture because cancel culture isn't the canceling of culture it is the it's the whole idea of of creating a culture by which you live uh, that you live by that allows you to cancel the things that don't represent truth and don't represent um real history or don't represent what your agendas are i mean and so whether it's about canceling a human being that you find out is is a bit of a jerk or a scumbag and you don't want to be associated with them that's fine or whether it's you know, calling for the removal of a statue or, uh, you know, or a monument. That is not canceling culture. That is developing a culture of truth and, and a culture of change and a, a culture that allows you to speak up and have your voice heard as you're correcting the false narratives of history. So um, I have a much better sense uh, of, of what that expression means. And now, I, I mean, if, if I'm going to, I'm going to use that, I'm going to use that expression as a positive thing, just like the, the idea of political correctness. When people turn that into, into a negative, it just doesn't make any sense to me because what's wrong with, with making something not just politically correct, but socially and morally correct. So I getting the, you know, sometimes getting schooled a little bit on some of this, this phraseology as it is, you know, um, is being spread across, you know, the, the American vernacular, even as it gets grossly reinterpreted or, uh, or manipulated by the right or, or whomever. Um, I, it's, I got to give value to, to younger people, including, uh, Jake, who helps me, uh, helps do the show, each, uh, um, each week. So, um, all right. Uh, on that note, uh, regarding, you know, cancel culture and the difference between, or what is really a representation of erasing history. I've got to talk about um, the anniversary of the Sand Creek Massacre. And, and I'm not going to get into the gory details of it because it is, it is pretty upsetting. Um, but the part that disturbs me most, even as I see other native media outlets putting up information about the Sand Creek Massacre and, and, and to, uh, I guess to recall, um, on November 29th in 1864 is when the uh, Cheyenne and Arapaho were attacked by Colonel Shivington, who happened to be a Methodist minister of all things. Um, and, and, and it is really one of the most disgusting and bloodiest massacres uh, that ever took place, uh, you know, in, in, a, in this kind of short period of time, this kind of bloodbath. Men, women, and children, they were not just um, killed, they were um, mutilated. They had body parts taken from them, including genitalia, you know, just to so they could be kept, kept as souvenirs. Children were shot as target practice. And this is all documented not by Native accounts, but by 
the white people who were there, including some soldiers, but also some reporters. But the thing that disturbs me most about it is the way history is manipulated. Even though you can learn about, you know, about the Sand Creek Massacre, when you look it up online or you see any of the accounts, there is no connection to this heinous act and who sat in the White House at the time. Abraham Lincoln. I mean, again, 1864. How is it that Abraham Lincoln gets to be this Teflon man that none of this stuff seems to, uh, to come back to him? I mean, this is the guy who was responsible not only for the, for the largest mass execution in the history of the United States with the Dakota 38 and the, two that would, uh, the plus two that would be uh, executed later on. Not only would, would, would he be responsible for that, but this massacre and the, the legislation that his administration pushed forward, including the Homestead Act, which led to many of these conflicts, that's all on Abraham Lincoln. And yet, just as, you know, again, have, having my grand, grandson in studio talking about what they're taught about these, these heroic figures in American history, nobody ever associates any of this stuff to any of those guys. So it's it's like these massacres existed in a vacuum, you know. And, and look, Colonel Shivington can be blamed for for much, absolutely. But he was never held accountable. He was never even court-martialed. I mean, he, he his middle, military career didn't exactly flower after that. But when you, you when you got famed Indian killers like Kit Carson condemning what took place there, that's you, you know it had to be pretty bad. So. Again, revisiting this whole notion of what is really erasure. If you can mention a even a, a terrible event and bring it up, you know, as an anniversary or whatever else, but still not connect it to the rest of what was happening in history, there's no context then. And trust me, there should be context. There should be context in the fact that this was Abraham Lincoln, because you know, look, I, I remember seeing a poll a few years ago and. This was a global poll, and Abraham Lincoln, I think, was was actually, uh, and I don't think they were they were including like Jesus Christ or or any, any characters like that. But I think Abraham Lincoln came out on top. I mean, I think globally he was considered one of the the most popular historical figures in the world. And of course, if you only if you erase all the negative stuff. And you and you just prop up these you know these individuals for only the 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 good things you can attribute to them fa- falsely or you know or, or, or whether it's true or not I guess then then sure you you can you can put a nice spit shine on anybody if you take away all of the you know uh, you know all of the all of the the, the 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 bad character if you take away all of the blemishes on on these people. I mean, there's, to be clear, there's a reason that he was assassinated. I'm not saying it was just. I'm not saying that assassination was just. But to be clear, he pissed off a lot of people, enough so that it, that it cost him his life. Now, now the other thing that, that, you know, since I'm on this Abraham Lincoln kick, the other thing that, that drives me crazy is when I see these Confederate flags all over the place, the Confederate flags are not just about slavery and the civil war i mean you have to understand the confederate south they were reveling in the assassination of the uh, of the president of the united states so 
I don't want to just when I see that Confederate flag out there, I'm not just going to connect it to uh, you know to pro-slavery states. I'm going to I'm going to connect it to the pro-assassination states. I mean, and the, the crazy part is, on one hand, the Republicans want to take credit for Abraham Lincoln because at that time, you know, things changed between what the parties represented, but but he was considered a Republican. And so when when I see these flags that are that are brandished around, you know, with these Confederate flags, I'm thinking, you know, that flag represents the South that that applauded the assassination of a, of a sitting Republican president. So I'm just saying, just to put it out there, because again, things are never put, put into proper context. You know, I'm not, you know, going to suggest here that in in 1865 that the uh, the Republican Party was was the party of virtue versus the other parties. I'm, I'm not going to go there exactly. Um, but I'm also not going <clears> to <throat> suggest that all oh, the Republicans were so concerned about uh, racism in, that they were anti-slavery in, in the 1860s. No, that's not exactly true either. Again, history is not put into it, into its proper context. So I think it's really important that we, <clears throat> that we talk about this stuff and, and we frame it with the rest of what was happening in history. Look, we, we get into into a conversation about where did the, all those soldiers go after the Civil War? Well, I'll tell you where they went. They, they, they went on to, to, to killing Native people. And in fact, even the idea of propping up uh, black soldiers and creating the, the Buffalo soldiers as, you know, as, you know, as black U.S. Union soldiers that would facilitate the killing of, of Native people. This is part of that ugly history. And, and, and you can't, I mean, you can't praise, I mean, most people don't even get the whole Bob Marley um, Buffalo Soldier song. They don't even get it because they, they, they don't care enough about history to understand what, what all of this stuff is all about. So I, I'm part of what I'm, I'm talking about today is kind of backing up a little bit what I've talked about over the last, the last couple of shows. Like I said, um, I don't know how we say we're all in this together if many of us that are the marginalized people are going to have the histories erased. You can't say that we're all in this together. I mean, you can't expect me to to praise the George Washingtons, the Thomas Jeffersons and the Abraham Lincolns or the Teddy Roosevelt, all those uh, that those defaced um, faces on the uh or faces that deface, I should say, uh, the Black Hills. No, you can't expect me to. And and don't just make this about anti-American you know, or you know, or that's that somehow I'm you know I'm racially biased because I I hate white people. No, it's not about that. But let's let's let some of these people in history own their history and own their own actions. I mean, it, it's real easy for people to to signal single out. You know the the evildoers, as <laughs> as George W. Bush used to say. I mean, but the reality is, the reason we call the president of the United States Ronald Gaius is because they've all played a, a a part in this in this genocide that is over five hundred years old. They all do, the, and and it includes Barack Obama. It includes you know every single one of them. And it doesn't matter, even with this administration, it doesn't matter how many women, how many people of color, you know, um, that, that Biden puts into his cabinet. 
it won't be enough to change the arc of white supremacy that exists in uh, in this uh, in in the United States, and 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 it's a shame. I'm not saying we shouldn't work for it, and I'm not saying we shouldn't work towards correction. And I'm and I'm not even suggesting that that there aren't going to be some some positive steps during in in a Biden administration. I'm not saying there is either. You know, I I think that you know the the jury will be out for quite some time. You can't judge history until it's until it's well in the rearview mirror. But I'll tell you, if you judge the history of any of these presidents, any of them, all 45 so far and, and 46 to come, when you look back and you look at what their track records were and what they accomplished and not just what they accomplished for good, but what they continued to do um, as far as what's wrong. And that's why this whole idea of, uh, of, of hearing the voices that are not being heard is, is so important. You know, look, I'm, I'm glad to get, get, get some good plugs on, on some of the, the more mainstream media. And, you know, and it'd be nice if they, they would reach out a little bit more on some of these, these stories. And, and it doesn't have to be the same native voices that they, that they always prop up. And, and I'm not condemning some of the voices that are out there, although some of them I think are questionable. But you, you want to reach out and you want to find out what's happening uh, in, on two native people on native territories or how native people like my good friend Regan DeLoggins, how native people are, are getting through life in, in, in an in urban environment or in a... Um, in an environment that is separate from their home or their homelands or, or their families. I mean, we've been through this before. Most of, a lot of times it was forced upon us. Now, some of us do make choices because there are such limited opportunities on our territories for, um, and I don't mean just for careers in terms of money and salary and that kind of stuff, but it's very hard to have a meaningful impact in, in your own territories. Look, some... <laughs> Let's be clear. Some native territories are so completely assimilated, uh, at least in some regard. I mean, what I hear that, you know, the, the Choctaw nation declaring themselves a Christian nation. I mean, when you start hearing language like that and look, and I'm not condemning Christians per se, <laughs> but but the idea that you know, that even with a country that surrounds the Choctaw nation, you know, like the United States, that claims to have a separation of church and state, even if they really don't. But even if they claim, excuse me, even if they claim to, it it is bizarre to hear the Choctaw Nation. And they're not the only ones. I mean, look, I've heard some crazy statements come out of um, so-called leadership in, in some of these native territories, you know, about... Uh, you know, our war custodian relationship to the United States, like we, like they are our custodians, like we're, we're wards of the state. I've heard white people say it, but I've heard native people say it too. I've also heard people refer to our existence as like we're denying reality. And, you know, it's like I said uh, you know, <laughs> on one of those radio interviews, I don't care how big and powerful the United States is. It doesn't give them the right or the power or the authority to declare that that I am no longer um, a Ganyagahaga or Ongwe 
they can they can say it all they want about how they've declared that I'm a U.S. citizen. But if I haven't made that declaration, then it, then it simply doesn't exist. It's, it's not true. And yet I've heard Native people, including Native leadership, suggest, well, they made us U.S. citizens in 1924. Well, no, they didn't. They may have made that declaration, but if somebody says something, it doesn't necessarily make it true. If that were the case, then Donald Trump would be... <laughs> would be reelected. Re- I mean because this that's it's just a question of somebody declaring something that's not true. Look, I understand the world we live in, you know, even as a part of the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, there's this there's a sense that the colonial powers that surround our you know, our existence today they have to let us participate in their systems because of what they perceive and what the world perceives as what is socially just. But even if the United States or Canada says that we can vote in their, in their elections, doesn't mean that we have to, and it doesn't mean that we should, you know, I granted considering what they've done to us um, as people and as our territories and what they've done historically to our people, ranging from massacres like the Sand Creek Massacre to residential schools to, um, you know, to basically creating policy that that forces us into poverty, all of that stuff. Uh, yeah, we could argue that, uh, you know, that they can't deny us access to their system. But, you know, I, I still go back to the Turo. Um, we still have choices. Yeah, there there are some choices that were made before we were born. You know, the fact that many of us speak English, for instance, and there are there are some choices that we we only have limited a, a limited range of choice. You know how we how we live, you know how we um, conduct commerce, uh, how we sustain ourselves in terms of employment and that kind of thing. Um, look, we we still can make some dramatic changes to the way things are, but. You know, we are living, um, you know, with a certain amount of cards that were dealt to us, but we don't have to succumb to everything that that they claim we are. We, we don't have to allow other people to, uh, you know, to define who we are. And by that, I'm saying we don't have to accept this this idea that we've been stripped of our culture, that we've been stripped of our nationality, if you will, or our national character. We don't have to accept that. And in fact, I would argue that we have made huge strides in my lifetime to regain and reclaim some of what had been lost by previous generations. And I'm not condemning the previous generations, not, not specifically. Now, I think generations before us had to make tough choices. And, and some of the choices they made were wrong. I mean, I'll, I'll never, you know, I will never agree with my parents' generation that, that made the decision not to teach us um, the language. And, and that was a, I mean, you can actually see on a timeline when it, when it happens, when, when the language drops off considerably. Because my father's generation, you know, my aunts, uncles, they, they all spoke the, the language fluently. I know in some territories you got to go back more than just one generation. But regardless, you had a generational decision that was made 
I mean, and, and I don't think they all got together and said, you know what, here's what we're go- here's what we're going to do, or here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to teach our kids to speak native our native tongue anymore. But it became a fairly universal decision, and it, and it was a wrong decision. I, I I understand what they viewed as some of the pressures, and they thought that you know there was they couldn't see the value anymore in it, uh, and it's one of those things that you don't see the value until it's gone. Then, then once it's gone, you realize, wait a minute, we, we, we're not just losing the ability to speak a different way. There's a whole philosophy that tied to, to language. And, and when I think about native languages being, not being so noun-based like, um, like many of the you know, um, European languages were, Latin-based, Anglican, whatever uh, languages were, you can, show, you can demonstrate almost a different philosophy on how you communicate. So, I mean, uh, again, and I don't want to keep belaboring that, that one point, but it is one of those decisions that previous generations made that, um, that, that I will never quite fully understand the, um, um, that decision and, and how the, the rationale was justified. But I will say, in spite of that, like with so, much of, uh, so many other things that we've lost um, culturally over many, many generations— um, there's always been enough that was hung on to for us to grab it back and pull it back. Our, our language is resurging. Um, we, we've got you know, programs that are helping uh, you know, our kids learn the language. We, again, we're, we're learning more and more about you know, our, our history, history that the ones who have, would have handed it down from generation to generation um, were removed from, you know, they, they were killed. They were, they were removed from the lands, but we're still finding bits and pieces. Sometimes they're locked in the language. Sometimes we, we find just, uh, you know, some old writings or we, or we, we still have enough people who are, you know, in their eighties, nineties, or even, you know, uh, over a hundred that can shed a little bit of light on something that we, that we basically thought we lost. So we do have the ability to bring some of this stuff back. And I, again, I couldn't be prouder of the fact that, that we are living at a time of that resurgence of our, of our culture and our, and our language. But the more that we learn about things, the more we realize what has been wiped out, what, what has been erased, which kind of gets me to my original point in the first place. I think we do have to... We look. We can't hold Abraham Lincoln accountable for something. The guy's been dead for a long time, but we can hold those who want to keep telling, retelling the history over. We can hold them accountable. Say, look, let's not paint him as as the hero that you're you're painting him as. Look, he was a president. I get it, and uh, and we understand the whole Civil War thing, Emancipation Proclamation. But let's not leave out the Sand Creek Massacre. Let's not leave out the largest mass execution in the history of the United States. Because if you leave those things out of his resume, then, then you're telling a false history. Bottom line, you're just telling a false history. So that's why I say I support cancel culture because I want to cancel the false narratives. I want to cancel the lies and I want to cancel the liars. So anyway, kind of a bit of a throwback to the last show. So, all right. Hey, uh, we're at the bottom of the hour. We'll take a break and uh, we'll come right back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native.
Tell you one, uh, thanks for coming back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Um, look, we're in the last month of uh, 2020, and that doesn't mean <laughs> that after New Year's Eve that uh, somehow this terrible year is is done and everything's roses again. No, that's that's not the not, not the case. But you know, we always do look at the the new year as an opportunity to do some things. Uh, you know, new, you know, to make some commitments to the future and that kind of thing. We're, we're going to, we're going to do a little bit of some changing up, um, after the, after the new year. No, 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 we're not losing anything. So <laughs> don't anybody be concerned, but we'll probably do, do a, maybe perhaps a little format change. Um, but as we close out this year, uh, you know, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't you know, mention obviously what has been marked this, uh, this year and made this year somewhat incredible, which is obviously the, the global pandemic, COVID-19. You know, I, I hope people, as they, as the holiday season for, for many people who celebrate these kinds of things, that, that people are, are, are responsible. And we, don't, we won't know for probably till next week or the week after how much the, the Thanksgiving holiday um, was impacted right now. The numbers are all over the place because reporting over a hol long holiday weekend is inaccurate. But I, I think there's going to be some ugly numbers that come in because some of the, the numbers that weren't reported properly necessarily are going to be lumped in some, you know, some of these sites, they, they spread them back out. But um, I think the numbers are going to be ugly. I think the, the results of people getting together uh, in an un at an unusual level, considering what's what's happening, not just not just the the people out there who are just belligerent about wearing masks or about social gatherings, but I know there's probably a lot of people who think, well, no, it's just family and uh, everybody's being careful and that kind of stuff. You know, the reality is we can't know what people we aren't spending 24 hours a day with. Uh, who they're they're coming into contact with, and if you're going to have gatherings of ten people or more in your home or in the home of a family member, you, you've created a you know a risky scenario, and there may be a lot of that you know over over this next month uh, and and into the into the new year because that's what people do, and and I get it, and and for people to disrupt their normal way of, of living life, especially through the winter. I, I know that can be difficult for people. So um, all I do is I, you know, I, I can hope people are, are responsible and, and, and that they're careful. And, and hopefully we, we all get through this. And the one thing I'll say, you know, as, as people are saying, well, we're all in this together. Well, we all are exposed to this. Unfortunately, there is disproportionate effects that that have been felt by you know by native people people of color not only because our health care is sometimes more challenging um the, our poverty levels are higher all of the things that would that could could contribute to good health um don't necessarily exist for for people who are on the the lower end of the economic scale or the social justice scale for that matter um so even with COVID, we aren't all in this together. We're all facing this thing, but we're facing it at different levels. And, and I, I, that's, that's just a reality. So, um, again, we're, we're in the last month of the year. I hope, uh, I hope people 
are wise on how they live their lives uh, as they finish up 2020. And, um, you know, hopefully some things will, you know, whether, you know, wherever you stand on vaccines or on personal behavior, personal protective equipment, hopefully we can become a little wiser as we go forward and, uh, and not try to politicize everything, you know, about our lives, but we'll see. All right. Hey, one of the things that I gotta say, and, and, and I, and I say this in an upbeat manner after that bit of a downer, um, I, as I was saying, I'm, I'm encouraged that, um, that we have been able to, to have a bit of a resurgency in our culture. And, and among the things that we become aware of is, um, as we're, as we're reexamining and redefining what took, what has taken place historically, we know what the injustices are. So oftentimes we're, we're more equipped to fight back. So we fight back against land disposition. We fight back against the rights that we, uh, that we know that we, we have. Um, and among the 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 calls that are out there today that are you know is really gaining traction is land back and not only has it become a bit of a hallmark to what's happening in six nations with you know 1492 land back lane the folks in the black hills are are making a stronger push for it it's it's you know even as that looming mount rushmore with those uh, with those defaced stone um mountains overlook uh the people there's a a stronger and stronger sense that we need to fight to get our land back so i'm encouraged i mean look look, we had movements before there was i don't know more there was you know the the um, you know the aim american indian movement there was the you know what i would call the sovereignty movement in general that you know that involved you know the development of warrior societies and 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 the growth of aim during some of those uh, you know during the 70s and such but we are becoming smarter and i don't mean just because we've got more lawyers amongst us because that i'm not necessarily (laughs) suggesting is, is the best thing but we are becoming more educated about the true history and that is a very good thing you know, I, I, again, I, I see this amongst the this generation of Hawaiians, for instance, the Kanaka Maoli. Look, th- there are so many people now that understand the miscarriage of justice. They understand the illegal occupation of uh, of the the Hawaiian kingdom, the the toppling of the Hawaiian kingdom by <laughs> the, the very president who was assassinated in Buffalo. Your uh, McKinley. I mean, look, and because we we learn this stuff and we and we we get reeducated about um the lies that we were told it gives us the strength to stand up look there's a there's a solid effort amongst hawaiians to to reassert the hawaiian kingdom and honestly i think they're going to have some success at some level i mean i i know that there are there are people that say well the united states is never going to give up hawaii well I, you know, look, the world's a changing place. United States has lost its, its supremacy in the, in the world. I'm, I know they still have military bases all over the freaking place. And, um, and they still have this nuclear arsenal and all that, that, that other nonsense. But as far as, you know, being the, this, this leader of the, of the, of the free world, I don't know. And so, 
as they've lost some of their standing in the international community, I think as the United States is held accountable at the international level, I think things are change is possible. And 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 again, I'm not suggesting that we have some heroes in in other countries that are going to solve this problem for us. But I think the audience is changing. I I think this idea that everything American is is wonderful is you know, I think that narrative is 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 crumbling. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying death to the United States out loud. Um uh, but there, there is, there are some issues here and one election isn't going to fix it, you know, and, and actually one election didn't create it. Trump getting elected didn't, didn't create, you know, the, this, you know, um, crumbling of, of, of America. I mean, it's, I would argue that everything that led up to Trump was a pattern. It, it was, it was going this way. I mean, and, and I think this is what people fail to recognize when they say, well, we're, we're at a, a you know a, a a historic place you know in in American history and we've never seen this and we've never seen that. Look, you guys were killing each other at unbelievable rates during the Civil War. Don't tell me that somehow the United States is more divisive than it's ever been. Give me a freaking break. And that was mostly white people killing white people. I mean that you know the the role that Native people or Black people played in the in the Civil War. I mean. Granted, slavery played a role, but in terms of this this massive black population that swung the tide of the war, yeah, I, I'm I'm not saying that black people didn't fight for their freedom. I'm not saying that, but this was mostly white people, and this was driven by money, and it, even as it related to slavery, it was driven by money. So, look, the United States does not have a great history. I mean, so when I hear people say "Make America Great Again" or or any of that MAGA crap, um, there is there is a lot of problems if you really examine American history, not the one, not what's in the history books, you know, and not the cleaned up version. I mean, true history. You're going to find that everything you thought you knew can be turned on its head. So whether you're talking about the Revolutionary War. Who were the bad guys there? Oh, mean old Britain. Great Britain was the, were the, was the bad guys. Well, if they were such the bad guys, why, why did Great Britain remain being, you know, you know or, or return to being America's greatest ally? I, and, and then share, share a border with its, uh, you know, with its, with its colony, you know, its colonization of Canada. I mean, you, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. If you, if you look at the, every historical event, especially the conflicts, you're going to find out that who you thought were the good guys and who you thought were the bad guys, it's, it's all dependent on what perspective you're looking at it from. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to justify, you know, Mussolini or, um, you know, or Hitler or even Hirohito. Although I will say that the circumstances that create the discontent that allows a Mussolini, Hitler, Hirohito, or Trump to, um, to rise to power is, is a, sometimes a creation of, of, of a lot of infighting in general and, and, and a lot of the effects that other countries have on the success or failure of a, of a given state. And you only have to look at the tremendous amount of influence the United States has tried to have on places like, like South America you know, and, and so many South American countries. Um, the influence they've tried to have in, in their 
the Red Scare Wars that went on for, you know, for decades. I mean, again, keep in mind, the kids that are, you know, wrapped up in green and handed a rifle aren't the ones making the decision on, on uh, to be kill, uh, to kill or be killed. It's, it's a lot of white guys in power making those decisions. And you, and it, you have to be honest and understanding that money has played a big role in, uh, in, yeah, in, in all of it, in, in the decision to go to war, in what they're fighting for, um, establishing markets, controlling oil revenue, all of this stuff. It, it's, it's ugly. And it's uglier the more you look at it. But again, if you take the time if you do the research, if you listen to other voices, you're going to find that there's, there's, there are perspectives that have value that you may not have considered. You know, one of the things that, that I suggest, even as I, I even you know wrote a thank thank you to the uh, reporter who did the uh, the piece on NewYorkTimes.com, and I said, look, I appreciate you guys, um, um, you know, mentioning Native voices and Native podcasts. I said, but you should reach out a little bit more. Our perspective is we, we have perspectives not just on native issues. We have perhaps a unique way of looking at some of the conflicts that, that exist not only in the United States, but other parts of the world. I mean, who really considers how native people felt, feel about Israel and Palestine? We have some pretty strong feelings about that. And in fact, there was a major to do when the Iroquois Nationals lacrosse team went and played in Israel. There was, there was a lot of tensions back home because of that. Caused a lot of problems, and a lot of people were really concerned about what took place. I was one of the voices on that. But even people who you might think would have been all for su uh, such a thing, um, you know, that were, were feeling pretty indifferent about it. So it is worth noting that we, be, because we aren't as embedded in the system, we have a little bit of a unique perspective as we look at you know American policies. You know, American foreign policies, even and domestic policies, we have a different view about racial uh, equity and social justice. Yes, part of it is because we are victims of inequity and we are in we are victims of, of injustice. But even as we view how other people have been treated, so whether it's black people or whether it's Muslims or whether it's uh, um, you know immigrants coming in from from South America, which I have a hard time calling them immigrants because, frankly. Those borders were, were placed through our lands. We, we aren't crossing borders. Borders cross us. That's the expression, and it's true. And we see it on the, on the northern border. We see it on the, on the southern border. And, and this idea, this man-made concept of creating these national boundaries, you know, people think that we were primitive because we weren't obsessed over, over lines drawn in the sand as Native people. You, you find out that it's that it's more human to, to view things our way than the way you viewed it. You become, I mean, I've, you've listened to, you know, even some of these famous battles, you know, over taking a hill or something like that. Really, somebody placed enough value on a hill that so many people could die as a result of of of, of egos. See, this is what what part of the problem is, and if you care to hear a perspective that you've never considered before because our perspective is based on our no, not only our lived experience but we have but what we have come to know as as true history 
we're going to give you a different take on on George Washington and and John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and Abraham Lincoln and you know right up through we're going to give you a different perspective including one from from uh, you know as you get to the more modern eras Kennedy and uh, and Clinton and uh, you know and Obama I mean right up through and it may sound like oh, oh you just got you guys just have negative stuff to say about everybody no but we're prepared to entertain the negative parts of everybody along with whatever, whatever the positive things. Look, I think Barack Obama appears to have been a good father. He appears to have been a good, a good husband. He, he seems like a decent human being. But it doesn't mean that I agree with the, the level of drone strikes that he, uh, that he was responsible for or the level of deportations that he was responsible for or the Dakota Access Pipeline that was, uh, that was built primarily on his watch. I can still disagree with somebody like that and, and be pretty emotionally charged over that disagreement. So while you want to you know, sing the praises of people, I'm just saying it's time that we, we add a little balance to some of this conversation. And if you have a balanced view of some of this stuff, or perhaps, look, perhaps my view is, is skewed a little bit too, too much to one side because, uh, be, because of being lied to my whole life, 60 plus years old and having been lied to my whole life. So maybe I've swung a little bit more to, you know, uh, to, to one side on, uh, on some of these issues, but it's still worth hearing that side because you're all, you're still just hearing that other side. So I'm saying, I'm saying even hold me accountable. I mean, hold me accountable. If I, if I mention something historical and, and I get it wrong, I welcome somebody getting back a hold of me and say, hey, you know what? You got that wrong. Your dates are off. Such and such wasn't the president then. <laughs> you know, or, or this person wasn't really responsible for that. I'm willing to have that conversation. And, and look, if I, if I do get it wrong, I'll make the correction. In fact, I'll talk about it. I'll talk about it on multiple shows because oftentimes there may be an issue that I've brought up on the show that I have repeated. Why? Because it's relevant. It's relevant to more than just one conversation. So if I have to correct that record multiple times because I got something wrong, I'm perfectly willing to do it. But in the overall scheme of things, I try to balance my opinion on world events on us events and on native events based on a um a gathering of information not a, not on just one you know fact factoid or or alleged fact i, I try to to balance it on on a bunch of information and look we are all learning so we're not just learning about history we're also learning about solutions and i think this is where we have to i mean this is this is really what's critical because we are facing conflicts together. I mean, like I said, we may be disproportionately affected by those conflicts. So whether it's climate change or a global pandemic or whether it's, you know, you know um, poverty or, you know, politics, whatever the situation is, we are facing some of this stuff together and we're going to have to come up with some solutions. And as we do come up with solutions, look, I talk about misappropriation. Misappropriation isn't recognizing that somebody's doing something a certain way and it's a better way than what you're doing. So I'm going to follow that. I'm, I'm going to pick that, uh, you know, pick up that idea. That's not stealing something from somebody because you're not taking it away. Well, I take it back. Sometimes you have, but, but what I'm suggesting is 
Let's learn from each other. If I if I see a better way of doing something, I don't care if, uh, what color the person is or the the community is or whatever else. I'm going to say we need to do that. And you know what? That has been our history. Native people didn't we never existed as a monolith. We didn't have a, you know, a, a one way of thinking. Uh, and and we didn't have one way of thinking forever. You know what I'm saying? We we evolved. We tried some of the same things that white people did back in Europe and and, uh, and other civilizations. We built big cities. Bad idea. Yeah, it's hard to maintain the uh, you know all of the infrastructure. It's hard to make sure that you can you know maintain clean water and uh, and and food supplies and fuel supplies, all that stuff. We made some of those same mistakes. You also see that while bringing many people together may come up with great ideas, you can also bring people together and come up with some bad habits. And some of those bad habits become part of the culture. You know, the closer you are to nature, the more you're going to live according to nature's path and nature's flow. It's when mankind separates themselves in such a way that they think they are bigger and that they are supernatural. They, in fact, they even invent the concept supernatural with gods and goddesses and, you know, and, and the way people think they understand spirituality. And, and, and so they prop themselves up, up up above and beyond nature. That's never a good thing. (laughs) And that's when you come up with, the only thing supernatural about man is his ability to destroy nuclear weapons, you know, uh, agents or uh, uh, weapons of mass destruction. Those are supernatural because nature would never have those things created for destruction. Look, I understand hurricanes, earthquakes, volcanoes, they are natural uh, occurrences and they can be pretty, be pretty destructive, but they also, you know, are, are part of a, a certain level of rebirth as well. There's no upside to, to mass murder and weapons of mass destruction. That is the singular place that, that man can hold himself. And I say himself, cause it's mostly men, you know, above nature. And so we have to wait sometimes a long period of time for nature to make its correction. And when nature's wrath corrects the ills of man, it doesn't pick out who the, the, the real evildoers are, who the culprits are. It'll treat much of life the same. And in fact, we'll even take other forms of life with us as we go. So, look, and, and again, I'm not trying to make it sound like you know, end of times or end of days or any of that stuff. We have a lot of control over how we live in the future. But the problem is, if we don't own what, is, what we've done wrong in the past, we will continue to do the same things. And I say that about Native people, too. We have to, we have to own our future. And we have to stop thinking that that we have been subjugated 
and relegated to some place within some American um, system, if you will. We better understand that we have a role. And in fact, the role that we play going forward, we may find ourselves more connected to other indigenous people, other native peoples around the, around the globe, as we all understand where we have to go with the future. So that's, that's kind of what, what, where I see, even as we close out this, this terrible year, because look, to be clear, it's not just terrible because of inconvenience. We've lost loved ones. We've, we've lost family members. And I know we lose them every year, but something different happened this year. And, you know, it, it made us rethink how we live our lives. It's made us rethink, you know, what it means to be social. <laughs> so as we, you know, as we close out this, this last month of, the, of, of 2020, um, I hope we reflect a little bit and I, and I hope we make a commitment in the new year to do some things that, um, that perhaps we haven't taken on yet. And, and among those things is going to be continue to educate ourselves, understand, own the history, understand the history. You know, the, the saying goes that those who, who, who don't acknowledge or remember history are destined to repeat it. Well, let's not keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Let's, but you, if you want to wipe out all the mistakes and pretend they never happened, then, then you can argue, arguably say, well, I didn't repeat the same mistake. I didn't know we did this before. <laughs> well, the fact is there's been a lot of terrible things that, uh, that mankind has done to themselves and to each other that we should learn from and not continue. So I want to thank you guys uh, for, for joining me again. Um, we will be back next, <laughs> next time for another edition. Uh, so in the meantime, you take care of yourselves. And uh, thanks for listening. Yahweh and Ona. There's a heavy weight you've been trying to hold on.